Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And, of course, we're here in France, and I'm joined with my co-host, Robert Hutton. Robert, you all right? Doing great, Deacon. Just finished that eclair. It was great. It was delicious, wasn't it? They, they do cook well here in they France. They do. That is one of their gifts. Now, one of the other gifts that they have here in France is we meet great people. Right. And they agree to do radio shows with us. Right, about places farther away from the, even than France. That's exactly right. And we have such a guest here today with us. We have Father Leonard Chua. And uh, he's a priest of the Apostles of Jesus. Father Leonard, you're from Africa. Where in Africa did you come from? I come from a country called Tanzania on the east coast of Africa. And they have that beautiful Tanzanite there in Tanzania, don't Lo- they? Lots of Tanzanite. It's a <laughs> beautiful blue kind of diamond-like crystal. It's yes. a beautiful jewel. Yes, yeah. used for earrings and engagements. And you are, a, you are another uh, jewel from Tanzania. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Thank you. Well, so, and you were, now you were born by Kilimanjaro? Yes, born and raised on the slopes of Kilimanjaro. And what is that? It is uh, the second highest peak on, on, on earth. Really? Yes. And it is yeah. actually the highest freestanding mountain on planet earth. Really? Wow. Yes. So if someone were to say that you were lightheaded, this is probably why. You're from the mountains, right? <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, that may be. Well, yeah. Father, thank you for joining us here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And yeah. we thought you would be a good person to talk to us a little bit about the desire for God. Okay. And I know we've had some conversations about our desire for God, our desire to know more, our desire to love God, to be with God. And I know that I was talking to you about maybe from a Western perspective, and you've had the the benefit of having that Western perspective, but also the African perspective Mm -hmm. of Holy Mass, Mm -hmm. right? And just the idea of how much time we spend doing those things as as if they might be indicative of our desire for God. Tell us a little bit about your experiences with like African worship when you're as a, as a Catholic priest from Africa and when you are in Africa, right? When you're in Tanzania, what is African Catholic worship like? It is generally much longer, and the people are more enthused. Uh, they are enthusiastic in their liturgy, generally, in the singing, in the dancing, and they are very patient. They sit and listen. How long is a Mass typically in Africa, Father? It can be as long as two hours. You know, if you did that in the United States, I, uh, people would, I think, riot. <laughs> there would be that. a riot, and they would they would leave, and they'd say, "Wow, that Father Leonard, man, he goes on and on. What is that all about?" Yeah. But you know, you tell us that uh, the folks uh, there, the parishioners in Africa, are actually hungry for. Yeah. You t- tell me about when the, the first time you'd been you'd been in the West, right? And you went back to Tanzania and you preached for ten minutes. What did they tell you? Yeah, people were really shocked. <laughs> you know, but not in a happy like, way. Mm-hmm. No, it's like a father. You you have no time to sit with us and talk about you know God. You have nothing to tell us. You know, we are here. We thirst for the word of God, and we want to hear more. 
uh, people are generally hungry for the word of God. They crave more. And this has been my experience uh, all over Africa, and especially the poorest parts of Africa. For some reason, poor people tend to be more dependent on God. Well, why do you suppose that is? I mean, the obvious thing is they don't have anything, right, to yeah. lead them away yeah. so much. But uh, th- your experience has been that poverty actually, yeah. uh, maybe that's what Jesus meant by blessed are the poor. Maybe, yes. We usually interpret that as spiritual poverty. Right. But I do think it has some connection with uh, material poverty. Poor people take everything as a blessing from God. Life is a miracle that God sustains himself. And whatever he gives in form of food, shelter, or clothing is perceived more providentially as as a miracle from God. Their poverty brings them, so to say, closer to God, in my experience. And so they become more religious the poorer they are. And... I don't know whether I'm really accurate, but I've seen, you know, rich people tend to be a little bit more impatient with God. They ration time for God. Uh, They want you to be very brief and say it in as few words as you can. And if you can't, it's not worth it. And that's a little challenging to me. (laughs) Right. And I can see where, obviously, I know that you're not trying to have a broad, sweeping generalization of all uh, people of wealth, because there are some very, very good people who have managed to still have that hunger for God, even though that they have some kind of wealth of material uh, possessions. But I see your point in that there is a general perspective in the West, right, that if I already have all this stuff, why do I need God? I mean, that's a challenge to us. Yeah, I, I think so. Yes, you have wonderful people, people who would spend all day in church. But yes, um, Like me, yeah. is that what you're saying? No, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know you enough. Uh, trust, just trust me. <laughs> uh, and actually, to avoid the fallacy of generalization, it's wrong to say all Westerners are like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's just... Uh, a feeling of you get for the majority of and it's know, a, and it's an extra challenge right we we see that all that will always be a challenge uh, being in the west knowing that this is happening but just like uh, it's always a challenge um, for us when we when we have uh, when we have great possessions we're always mm-hmm. going to be challenged with that that sort of uh, which is more important right yeah. yeah i do feel that god becomes lesser needed by the wealthy. Uh, partly, I think, because they, they have a lot that they're dealing with in, in terms of management of their uh, property and, you know, their projects. Um, and the time is rationed, even for God. But uh, there is also a feeling that, you know, the poor people have nothing much to do. <laughs> right. So they, they have more time to pray and be there in church and to listen, probably because they're bored. <laughs> what about happiness, though, Father? Do you experience that those people that spend the time in Africa, I mean, their level of peace and joy, uh, can you comment on that? Do they seem to be more peaceful people? or Frankly, they're happier, I believe. 
I mean, from my perception. Not even having the Mercedes or the, the, the gold watch, they're happy? <laughs> I think Mercedes makes you a little bit more miserable. It helps you. Now, we don't have a problem with people who own a Mercedes. Okay, Father, we have to be careful because I, I don't want the people from Mercedes calling me because they may be planning to give me a car or something. And now that's, no, it's out the window now because the well, We want you to be a happy deacon, though. We, we don't want you to have a Mercedes. Thank you. I appreciate okay, that, Robert. You know, what I'm trying to say is there is the necessary detachment from material well-being, material wealth that we need, that brings us closer to God. And the happier, I mean, the closer you are to God, the happier you are. And there is a general tendency of material things, the world coming between us and God. Absolutely. And, you know, materialism is probably the word we should be using instead of wealth because wealth, yeah. there are many people who have, um, uh, they, they practice spiritual poverty even though they have many, uh, I mean, they're, they're set for life as we hear. And I think most of the people that would be listening to this radio show probably are not wealthy as we would, uh, we would understand that word to mean. A lot of people would look at that and say, well, I'm just a regular guy. And still... The people in the West have so much to, um, so much there as a support system. They have so much, so many possessions, and even though those who may not seem wealthy still have those same challenges of yeah. materialism and and the possessions and things getting between us and God. Yeah, I think it is a challenge of detachment, detaching oneself from your possessions, so that you get attached to God. It is how you, you make your scale of priorities, how God comes first, then everything else second. Uh, and so, yes, you can be very wealthy and very poor because of your neediness for God, because you depend on God. You look at your wealth as a gift from God, as also a challenge that you know, God gives you for other people. Uh, but you see, poor people generally tend to have just God. <laughs> yeah. And they don't have a lot that comes between them and God. And then there's also that, that innate desire they have for God, right? We're created in God's image and likeness. And we're yes. created to love him, to seek him out. And mm-hmm. they are the people that you've experienced, especially in, in you know, the continent of Africa. Those people are more in tune with God sometimes because they they don't they ha- they have that sense of detachment. Yeah. Yeah. There is a, a sense of detachment um again not to generalize, you know, right. in the majority of the poor of Africa. Um and I have seen how easy it is for People like in slum areas, I, I was once in Kibera slum in Nairobi, how the, the poor care for the poor, how it is easy for a poor kid to notice another starving child and share what he has or she has with the other one, and how easy it is for a better off person, a wealthier person, to just ignore Mm-hmm. the need of the person next to them. It, it is very interesting. Maybe I should give you this uh, uh, humble, humbling story of a time a child came from the slums calling me to go to give last rites to another sick child. 
And at the time I was talking with a wealthy person, kind of, not, not in the American standards though, <laughs> a better off person, right. who didn't even pay attention to this child who came and from a far, from a distance called me, Padre, someone is dying. Would you come and bless, you know, they don't know, you know about the sacraments much. Would you come and bless him so that he goes to heaven? And you could see the trouble he took to come from the slums to the church to get me. And I did go. And I did go and, and I gave last rites to this child who was uh, having serious malaria and was dying. And he eventually died. Um, yes, the poor notice the need of the fellow poor. Uh, it, it's harder for the wealthy to do that, probably because they don't relate with it. Very beautiful. Mm-hmm. We have much more to talk about in our desire for God and understanding that desire. Uh, right after we get back from this break, we'll continue that conversation. Before we do that, I want to remind people at home that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And I'd love for you to send me an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Throughout history, Catholics have contributed greatly to the development of society, promoting government based upon justice and the dignity of the human person. One prime example of a great church statesman was Stephen Langton, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Born in 1150 in Lincolnshire, England, Stephen studied theology in Paris. His piety and love of God won him the respect of other clerics, including the future Pope Innocent III. He was elevated to Archbishop of Canterbury in 1207. At that time in church history, the books of the Bible were not subdivided. Typically written in scrolls, the only separation would be a space at the end of each line of sacred text. Archbishop Langton divided the books of the Bible into chapters so they could be more easily referenced and studied. These chapter divisions are the ones still used today. With a strong personal devotion to the Holy Spirit, Archbishop Langton is also credited with authoring the prayer, Vini Spiritus Sanctus, or Come Holy Spirit, which is often part of the liturgy at Pentecost. This love of the scriptures and devotion to the Holy Spirit guided Archbishop Langton to have a profound impact upon the development of human rights. At that time in England, there was a great political crisis as the reigning King John had rescinded several of the rights granted to barons by his predecessor, King Henry I. Archbishop Langton led a group of barons in a struggle against the king. Furious with the archbishop's actions, the king declared anyone who followed the archbishop a public enemy. But the clergy of England, as well as the pope, were fully supportive of Archbishop Langton. Several negotiations occurred among the parties to try and secure the rights of barons against the king. Ultimately, in 1215, Archbishop Langton led a council of churchmen in Westminster, which drafted the Magna Carta, the first great statement of individual liberties, which was ultimately signed by King John. This great statement of rights is the forerunner of other codifications of rights, 
including the Bill of Rights, which is part of the American Constitution. Archbishop Langton should serve as an example to Catholics in our modern day to study the scriptures, seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and stand up to oppressive governments to protect the rights of all persons. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and we're talking to Father Leonard Chua. And Father Leonard, you were just telling us about uh, this wonderful story of this this young boy that came, it touched your heart, moved you, you said, uh, and just gave you this uh, this sense of uh, um, that God was speaking to you and, and, and let you see this. It's a humbling experience, isn't it, to see the reality of what this boy was asking you and the fact that he was obviously cared so much for this other young person. It, it, it was a challenge both to me and really to the other fellow who was there with me. Yeah, it, it was in a very special way, I believe, God was speaking to us to pay attention. Yeah, you know, it, it, it just it calls to mind the parable of the, the rich man and Lazarus, right? We exactly. hear that story. Yes. You know, Father Abraham. Well, you know, oh, yeah. this boy, regardless of whether he understood the sacraments, understood mm-hmm. he, un- in his desire for God, yes. right? And in, in his love for his fellow man, yes. he sought God out. And he saw that in persona Christi. He saw that in you. Yes. And so that is a lesson for all of us. Because I think all of us, in a sense, are that rich man in that in that parable all of us are that person at times exactly you know um it is very easy to understand the bible the parable of the rich man and the poor lazarus but fail to apply it in our day-to-day lives Mm. we have a lot of lazarus moving Mm. around us and that's right and we go to church and listen to the gospel and we don't really apply it in, in in our situation right here, and it is the case in many many places. Father, is it different to be a uh, priest in Africa? How is it different to serve the people of Africa than the United States? I and mean, you have both experiences. Is it? Is it I will different? be a little bit biased, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yes, I come from Africa. Yeah. I believe one of the beauties of being a priest in Africa, you feel that need. Mm-hmm. People need a priest. People search for a priest. People want you. They want you to to bring to them God and God's will. They will come for you. They will be very patient with you. Uh, and here it is generally the case, but there is a little bit of, uh, you know, you do your business, Father, do it as quickly as possible and let me go ahead and do other things well, i have definitely had that experience and father i'll, I'll let you off the hook and i know this is not <laughs> father chua telling uh you westerners that you guys are impatient but i will say that uh, we've been raised in a culture that is uh what i call you know the, the fox news or cnn mentality <laughs> where you need to tell me what you have to tell me in you know a minute and a half or five minutes yeah. on a sunday and really over that is, is too much information. Whereas you were experiencing that when you were preaching to your, um, your, your fellow Africans, that if you preached for five or ten minutes, they'd say, have you no more to say? Is this all you have? Well, how they long didn't would prepare you, you. How <laughs> long would you preach? Do you pre- oh, I've preached for 40 minutes, you know, in one mass, and people want to hear more. 
uh. and they want to be able to respond. They want to be able to ask you questions. During your homily? Yes, you catechize the people. The, generally, people don't enjoy you talking at them. They want to talk with you. They enjoy dialogue. They want you to ponder the word of God with them. Um, and I don't find it um, offensive <laughs> because we are supposed to be catechists uh, as you know, preachers. And I think it is appropriate because Jesus himself used that method. You know, people want you to ponder with them the word of God and to bring them into that word and together come to discern the will of God for both of you. Uh, and so it is, uh, it's a little different. Oh, I'd say it's a lot different, <laughs> right? I'd say it's a lot different. But yeah. see, I think that also really, though, I speak a lot of my knowledge of the United States, but, but really of all of Western culture, there's something that we can learn right from from our african brothers and sisters in other words that desire for god that just at the root we we need to sort of rekindle that for ourselves for all of us for all of the people god we should all be desiring god and want to hear more exactly i, I mean the word you used rekindle I, I like that because we are created for god as saint augustine of hippo said you know and our hearts are restless really until they rest in god uh, the only problem, I think, is that sometimes that desire is uh, crowded by so many other things. That voice of God trying to reach you is in the midst of so many other voices and chores of life and materialism, uh, so much so that sometimes it is compromised. I think that is unfortunate. Um, and the, the simpler uh, we are, sometimes, you know, the clearer that desire is. Um, the more detached, as I said, from material things, uh, the easier it is to be attached to God and, and you know, learn what really matters. Um, and we need to also maintain a, um, a sense of, uh, I don't know, a, a duty to find more about God, to, to explore, to ask questions, where... So often I'll see, like in our, my own parish at home, people are, they're happy to come. Uh, they'll show up. They'll sit down. An hour later, they'll get up. Maybe they'll have a donut. Mm -hmm. But really, that's, that's the extent. Now, I'm not, I oversimplify. Yeah. But really, we're, we're, we, we design things in a way where there's not a lot of um, interaction, dialogue, uh, conversation, and where we're exploring and trying to find, uh, trying to find God in all the things that we do and try to... Uh, have a greater relationship with God. And so often we'll just be complacent and we'll, we'll sit, we'll listen to a nice little short homily. Mm -hmm. We'll be at mass. We'll receive the Eucharist and we'll, you know, the deacon will, they'll, you know, go and send us forth yes. and then we won't do anything with it. Not until next week. Yeah. Right. They'll come back from mass the following week. Exactly. Uh, you see, that's the problem. And there is something else here. Um, sometimes when you watch like, you know, a Baptist preacher, <laughs> right. some, you know, you see a little bit of a different spirit there. Sometimes they are more patient than Catholics. Uh, now, maybe you will help me understand this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They can listen to an hour of mm -hmm. talk by a good, you know, uh, preacher, preacher right. uh, and they won't stand 
10 minutes of a Catholic priest who is preaching so well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I, would be the reason? I will, I will say that, uh, that people who truly desire God desire to know more. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's as simple as that. And I'm not going to say that, that Baptists desire God more than Catholics desire God, right? <laughs> but I think that we get in the habit of who we are. Catholics will sit in the same pew every week. Mm-hmm. Right, they'll be with the same people. Yeah. They'll become used to certain things, and so yeah. when we go to mass, and mm-hmm. if the homily is more than ten minutes, mm-hmm. this is different. Now, Deacon, that's the point. There is a kind of rigidity which may be an impediment to discipleship, and I think Jesus attacked this within the Pharisees. You know, who would just keep the law, keep it. For its own sake, right. because it is the law, right. you cannot explore further. You can, you know, it's a problem. Uh, we need a little bit, as long as you know, as much as we keep to the traditions, our own traditions and the law, you know, the basic law. We also need to be flexible to understand and ponder the word of God and challenge ourselves with it and give God. A chance. And we have to be open to the Holy Spirit. Exactly. And to be open is to tear down all the walls and tear down all yes. the things that we build up to say that I don't need this or I don't want that or I know what I need. And, and to tear yes. all that down and to be open and say, God, I don't know exactly what you're going to give me, but go ahead and give it to me. Beautifully said. Yeah. Yes, could, I think that's, that's important. But Father, could it also be not just materialism, but in the West we have so many messages, so many sounds. But in Africa... The priest preaching is a big event in the week, right? So oh, there's yeah. there's fewer yeah. noises coming into one's uh, life. Is that a, you think where the gospel then has much more of a central place? Yes, uh, yes, because yes, it is true because there is no much happening around. But we all need to be that simple, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that everything else is secondary and mm-hmm. the gospel is central. To our lives. We all need to be able to look forward to Sunday and the message that, you know, we receive from our Sunday liturgy, which will inspire us and direct us throughout the week. Um, yes, that simplicity is the one I think Jesus desired for us. Right. And we desire of him mm-hmm. that message and to desire God and then to come with an open heart in desiring yes. makes us desire him all the more. Yes. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, uh, Father Leonard, here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Thank you, Deacon Jeff and Robert. Father Leonard, would you lead us in a prayer? Oh, God, our loving Father, you created us for yourself and give us the gift to desire you for our own fulfillment. We ask you to help us in the midst of the world crowded with so much that we may always hear your voice and follow you. We make this prayer to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.